Turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Our text this morning is Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. But let's pray as we come to God's Word, asking for His blessing on our study. O Lord, Your Word is truly a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive Your truth in faith and love and strength to follow on the path You set before us. Through Jesus Christ, Amen. Matthew 6, verses 5-15 through And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come, Your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Kids, uh, fifth grade and below, come up and join me. All right, see if you can get to a place where you can see the book. All right, this is the story of Pilgrim's Progress. And this guy over here, the man in armor, that's Christian. Like us, he puts his trust in Jesus. And at this point in the story, he has left behind his old country because he knows that God has prepared a better one for him. He came from a place called the City of Destruction. And he's on his way to the city of God. But look who met him on the road. His name is Apollyon, and he's the devil himself. He said to Christian on the road, You, where did you come from, and where are you going? And Christian replied, I am from the city of destruction, and I'm going to the city of God. Apollyon said, Then you are one of my subjects, because I am the prince and god of your old city. Why have you run away from me, your king? And he began to tempt Christian to get him to turn back. First, he tempted Christian with pleasure, promising him great riches and delicious pleasures if Christian would turn back from following Jesus. But Christian said, no. Jesus has taken away my heavy sins and given me peace. I've given Him my faith, and I'm not going back with you. To to tell you the truth, Mr. Apollyon, I, like Jesus, 
and everything about his kingdom better than you and yours. You see, guys, the the goodness of Jesus protected Christian from the temptation to go back for more pleasure. Uh, Then Apollyon said, The road ahead is hard. There is pain ahead of you. The Christian said, I know. But Jesus went this way ahead of me. Even if I die, Jesus can raise me up again. Ah, but you see, the devil was tricky. When he couldn't tempt Christian with pleasure or pain, he would tempt him to go back because of shame. Apollyon said, you are forgetting something, Christian. You say you've given Jesus your faith, but you have already been unfaithful to Jesus. And Apollyon began to list all the ways that Christian had disobeyed Jesus on his journey. But do you know what Christian said? He didn't say, Nuh-uh, you're wrong. Christian said, Everything that you just said is true. You've even left out a bunch of sins that I've done. But, he added, Jesus is merciful and ready to forgive. You see, he was being tempted by shame over what he had done to, to make him turn back from Jesus. Even though he had done wrong, Christian knew that Jesus covers all our shame with his love. And and so protected by that good news, Christian kept putting all of his trust in Jesus. And that made Apollyon angry. He smoked and he shouted, prepare yourself to die. Now, Apollyon looks big and strong, doesn't he? And Christian looks kind of small and weak compared to him. Yeah. But what is Christian wearing? Yeah. And this is not any ordinary armor. This is God's own armor that he gave to Christian to wear for protection. And protection is just what he needed. Because just then, Apollyon hurled a flaming dart at Christian's heart. But Christian held out his shield and he blocked it. Christian drew his sword and braced himself for battle, and Apollyon came at him in a fury, throwing darts as thick as hail. And in spite of everything that Christian did to defend himself, still some of them struck above and below his shield, wounding him painfully. And then Christian fell back a little bit, and seeing this, Apollyon came with all of his force. But it was then that Christian remembered to pray the Lord's Prayer that we have been learning. And it it ended with, Father, deliver me from evil. And courage filled Christian's heart once again. And so they fought up and down, sorry, they fought up and down the highway for about half an hour, 30 minutes of fighting. And Christian, was his strength was almost gone because of all the blood that he lost and just exhaustion. Apollyon saw that Christian was gradually growing weaker and weaker and taking taking that opportunity. He pressed Christian down to the ground. He he took hold of him and he threw him to the ground and, and Christian's sword flew out of his hand. Now, Apollyon said, I'm sure I have you. And he almost beat him to death. But as God would have it, as Apollyon gave his final blows to finish him off, 
Christian's hand touched his sword, which gave him fresh spirit. He gripped the sword with all of his might and said what the prophet Micah once said, Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. And he gave Apollyon a deadly thrust, which caused him to fall back as if mortally wounded. And summoning all of his strength, Christian rose to his feet and advanced toward him, crying the words of Paul, In all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And that was too much for Apollyon. He spread his wings and flew away. And with the battle over, Christian, breathing heavily, said, I will give thanks to him who delivered me. Because when Christian was so weak, God was still strong. Guys, like like Christian, you are going to meet many temptations that will pull you away from following Jesus. Uh, Some temptations will pull you toward pleasure. Some will make you... Make you, make you want to run away from the pain of following Jesus. Others are going to make you wonder. Other temptations will make you wonder if Jesus could really love a sinner like you. And on our own, you and I are too weak to resist those temptations. But God has given you, even you, His very own armor to protect you. Trusting that Jesus is forgiving when we are sinful, that is like having a shield that protects us from the enemy's accusations. And the sword that you have is God's Word that comforts us and strengthens us and gives us hope that our God is stronger than sin and death itself. And He conquered both when Jesus died and rose. And so, yes, you need protection in this life because temptation to run away from Jesus, it's coming. But where you need protection... God gives you Jesus and His gospel. And so I want you to learn to put Jesus on like armor and be ready. But because our God does protect and strengthen us in Jesus to stand firm and to keep going. That's another reason why we call this good news. Do you believe it? All right, thanks guys. You can go back. Bibles 2, Matthew chapter 6. We've been in this text some time now. It's actually the, the last part of uh, a series of sermons on the doctrine of salvation that we have been in uh, for several months now. And this is actually the last sermon uh, in that series. We'll be uh, returning to our study in the book of Acts next Sunday. But in this series, we, we began by asking why we need salvation. And we saw that our need of salvation is, is rooted in the reality of our sinfulness. We are sinners. We are traitors against our King. And as such, we are justly under His condemnation. And there's nothing that we can do about it. There's nothing we can do to atone for our sins. There's nothing we can do to earn His blessing. But God, in His mercy chose to provide salvation for us through a Savior. And so we next asked, who is that Savior? And we saw that that Savior is is none other than the eternal Son of God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And that He came as our perfect prophet, priest, and king to give His life as the ransom for our redemption and then to rise again victorious over death that we might have new life in Him. 
And we saw that the, the benefits of that work are manifold. There are benefits that we enjoy in this life, like, like our justification, where we are declared righteous in God's sight, our, our sanctification, where we are renewed in the whole man after the image of our Savior, our, our perseverance in that grace until the end as He keeps us and, and causes us to, to stand firm in the faith. And we saw that all of those benefits are ours by faith alone. We, we earn none of them. They are all part of God's gift. And when we believe in Jesus Christ, when we receive and rest upon Him alone for our salvation, we are united to Him, and all that He has done becomes ours. And then finally, in this last part of the series, we've been seeing how it is that God keeps us in that faith. Those means of grace that He has given us to, to strengthen us and to sustain us to the end. And we've seen that those means of grace are, are primarily three. His, his word, His sacraments, and prayer. So we spent some time looking at the word and, and how it strengthens us. Then we looked at the, the sacraments, one of which we saw this morning in baptism. But we looked at, at baptism and the Lord's Supper. We saw how they strengthen and sustain us. And for the last several weeks, we have been looking at prayer, asking how it strengthens and sustains us for this life that God has called us to live. And in our study of prayer, we have been working our way through the Lord's Prayer, phrase by phrase. And we come this morning to the, the final phrase in this prayer. This petition where we are taught to ask, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so this morning, I, I want us to, to focus in on that final petition. I want us to ask first what, what it means. What is it that, act, that we are actually asking for? Why do we need it, and how do we get it? So let's start with, with what is it that we are asking for. And we, we need to ask that question because there is, there is some challenge involved in understanding this final petition. As we, as we look at it, it's a, it's a parallel petition. It has two parts. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil. And when we look at those phrases, we, we need to know what, what is meant by lead us not. What, are we, what does that mean when we ask God to not lead us somewhere? And, and where exactly are we asking Him not to lead us? What is this temptation? We, we know that, that temptation has a two meanings. Temptation can mean that, that temptation to sin, that, that enticement to sin, or it can simply mean the, the trials and the tests that we face in this life. What are we asking to be uh, uh, protected against? What are we asking not to be led into? And we, we can ask the same sorts of questions about the second half of the petition there. What is this deliverance that we're asking for? And what is the evil that we're asking to be delivered from? Is it, is it evil in general or is it the evil one, as, as some have thought? And we ask these questions, we, we wrestle with these questions because when, when we first read the petition... It can seem strange to us. It can seem strange because we're not quite sure why we would need to ask it. Why would we need to ask God not to lead us into temptation? Doesn't James tell us that God would never tempt us? God himself cannot be tempted. And, and he doesn't tempt anyone to sin. Why then would we need to ask God not to tempt us? And if he's not talking about temptation, but he's, but he's talking about trials, again, the question arises, 
Well, why would we ask to be delivered from, from the trials? Yes, the, the trials are uncomfortable. Yes, the trials can be, can be painful and, and difficult. But does James, again, not tell us to rejoice when we face trials of various kinds? Not because the trials are themselves good, but because God uses those trials to build us up. He uses those trials to, to strengthen us. He uses those, those trials to, to develop us into the kind of people that he has called us to be. And so we have this, this confusion as we come to this final petition of the Lord's Prayer. What are we asking for? Why do we need to ask God not to tempt us? Or why would we ask God not to test us? Well, I think as we look at uh, this final petition, I, I think we can begin to uh, get a sense of it when we read it in the context of, of all of Scripture, particularly all of the New Testament. I, I think that, that we can begin to understand that what Jesus is teaching us to pray for is that God would lead us such that we might not enter into the temptations and the, the trials that are sure to come. You see, temptations and trials are not necessarily separate events. Temptation or whether an event is viewed as a temptation or a trial depends upon the, uh, the, the purpose of the one who is administering the event. And so in God's hands, all the difficulties that we face are, are always trials. They are His fatherly discipline. They are His, his testing meant to, to build us up. Even if Satan has a different purpose entirely. Satan intend, intends to entice us. He intends to, to trip us up. He intends to, to make us fall. He wants to, to lure us into sin. And he uses the, the, the difficulties of this life to that end. But, but God rules and overrules to turn them all into testing. Testing that, that builds up. Testing that, that conforms us more and more to the image of Christ. And what we are asking for when we come to God with this petition is that we are asking that God's purposes and not Satan's purposes might rule. That the, that the tests that we face would be used to actually build us up rather than to cause us to enter. We're asking him to lead us, to protect us, such that we might not enter into sin. Just, just think of the way that Jesus instructs his disciples in the, in the garden on, the, on his final night before his crucifixion. Remember what he says to them. He, he tells them to pray that they might not enter into temptation. He knows the temptation is coming. He's not, he's not praying, that, he's not asking them to pray that they might be, be spared the difficulty of, the, of that night's events. He's, he's, pray, he's telling them to pray that they might be strengthened to stand firm in the faith. That they might not give in to the temptation, as we say, that they, that they might not enter into it, that they might not succumb to it. And I think that's exactly what Jesus is teaching all of his disciples to pray here. He is, he is teaching us to pray, God, lead us that we might not enter into temptation. And that fits perfectly with the, the second half when we pray, deliver us from, from evil. And really, it doesn't matter much whether we, we read that as deliver us from evil or deliver us from the evil one. Because either way, we are praying that we would not be overcome but that we would not be uh, deceived, that we would not be ensnared, but that we would be strengthened to stand firm against all the schemes of the evil one and all of his, uh, all of his fiery darts. That's what we are praying for. We are praying that God would protect us and that he would deliver us and that he would enable us 
to stand firm in our faith. The question is why? Why do we need this protection? Remember the the overall structure of the prayer. In the first part of the prayer, we we were taught to pray for for God's name and for God's kingdom and for God's will to be done. And we said that 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 Jesus gives us this prayer that, that our priorities might be set in order. This is a formative prayer. It is a prayer that is teaching us to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And that all of the petitions in the second half are subsumed under those new priorities. We ask for bread because we need it in order to seek first the kingdom, in order to, to live to the praise of His glory. We ask for forgiveness because we need it to live lives worthy of this calling that we have received. And in exactly the same way, we are asking for protection and for deliverance because we need God's protection. We need God's deliverance if we are going to live lives worthy of His name. We need His protection because we will face temptations. We will face many temptations. Our lives will be lives of trial. And simply put, we are not sufficient to stand firm in the face of them if left to ourselves. First, think about the the temptations that we face. Sam mentioned the fact that the temptations can come in the form of pain or pleasure. We actually see this in in Jesus' own parable of the the sower. Remember, what is it that that causes some of the the seed not to to bear fruit? There's some of the seed, yes, that's just snatched away as as soon as it is sown because it falls upon the path. But in the lives of those who hear it and, and at least at first receive it, what is it that causes it not to bear fruit? It's the the rocks and the the thorns. The rocks don't allow it not to put down roots so that when the sun comes, when the trials come, when the the pains of following Jesus come, that that plant is scorched and it proves to be fruitless. But there are times, other times, when it's the the cares of this world and the desire for other things that will choke the seed and and cause it not to bear fruit. Trials and, and temptations can come in the form of both pain and pleasure because the reality is there will be pain in following Jesus. There will be pain in following Jesus. First, there is the the pain of of just love. To love another is sacrifice. It is always sacrifice. If you are a parent loving a child, you, you know that you sacrifice your plans, your interests, your desires to serve this other one, this this little one who is who is entirely dependent upon you. And it's no different in friendship between peers. For for there to be a true friendship, there to be a true love between peers, there is always sacrifice. There is always a a putting of the other ahead of yourself. Putting their interest before your own. There is sacrifice involved in, in walking in the footsteps of faith. But more than just the sacrifices of love, there there is also the, the persecution that comes against those who will follow. Christ. There are those who, who hate Christ and, and hate His kingdom and will work to, to persecute those who, who claim the name of Christ. We don't feel that the same way here in the United States that others do in other parts of the world or as others have throughout the history of the church, but, but we know something of it. 
We know, we know something of the animosity that is directed towards those who, who proclaim Christ as the only Savior of God's elect. The only Redeemer of, of sinners lost. We know something of that pain. We know something of the, the persecution that comes from, from following Jesus. And, and sometimes there's a pain that's not directly persecution, but is just the pain of life in this fallen world. Pain that we are not spared when we follow Jesus. Pain that we are actually asked to endure for the sake of His will and for the sake of His kingdom. That's why Paul said, if you desire to live a godly life, you will suffer. You will suffer the, the pains of sacrifice. You will suffer the pains of, of persecution. You will suffer the pains uh, and frustrations of life in this fallen world. And so you will face that pain, and that pain will be a temptation to turn away from Jesus. Because it will appear that, that leaving him will, will make it easier. Again, think of, of Peter on the night that Jesus was betrayed. Why? Why deny Jesus? Why deny knowing him? Why deny knowing his disciple? Because of the threat of pain, the threat of loss that was associated with being his disciple. But of course, it's not only the, the threat of pain that, that can tempt us. There is also the, the, the promise of, of pleasure. The promise of, of pleasure. Sin makes great promises. They are false promises. And if you've been around long enough, you, you've experienced the lie of sin. You know what it is for sin to promise and, and never deliver. And yet, in our sinfulness, those promises are always alluring. They are always alluring. The, the promise that if we do our own thing, if we go our own way, if we are simply true to ourselves, then we will know the good life. We know the temptations of sin. We know the promises that sin makes. And, and those promises of pleasure are a real temptation. And in this life, we will face both the, the temptations of pain and the temptations of, of, of pleasure. We will face them again and again and again. We have to admit that we are in ourselves insufficient to stand firm against those temptations. You probably don't even have to convince you of this. You, you know it. You, you've felt it. You've seen yourself fall. You've seen yourself stumble. You've seen yourself give in. We feel our own sufficiency. We, we resonate with Luther's great hymn. What does he say? If we in our own strength confide, our striving will be losing. Why? He says, because this world is a flood with mortal ills and because we have an ancient foe, who is still working to bring us into woe. This is the reality of the life that we live. We are insufficient to stand against our foe. We are insufficient to stand even against our own flesh. We know the, the experience of what Paul describes in, in Romans chapter 7. Whether you, whether you read that as the life of a, of a Christian or a non-Christian, what is clear is here we have a man who is, who is relying on himself, a man who is standing in his own power, a man who is apart from the Holy Spirit, and apart from the Holy Spirit, he cannot walk in the footsteps of faith. The evil he hates, the evil he does not want to do, this is what he keeps on doing. 
and the good he wants to do. This is what he cannot bring himself to do. And so we, we see, we see from, from both our own experience and from the scriptures that we are insufficient. We are insufficient to stand firm in the faith. We are insufficient to, to, to walk in the footsteps of faith. We are insufficient to live lives worthy of his name, worthy of the calling that we have received. We need God's empowering grace to live the lives that he has called us to live. And that's what we are being taught to pray for here in this final petition. We are being taught to pray for the, for the deliverance and the protection that we need, the empowering grace that we need to stand firm. But how do we get that protection? How, how does this grace come to us? When we, when we ask, how does God give? And we have a, a graphic picture of that in the the text that Bunyan was alluding to in his story of, of Christian's fight with Apollyon. The, the story of, of Ephesians chapter 6, of the, the Christian's call to put on the armor of God. In, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, we are, Paul writes, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. This is the call. Be strong. Be strong in the Lord. Stand against these temptations that are, that are sure to come. Stand against the temptations of pain. Stand against the, the, the temptations of pleasure. But how? How do we do this, Paul says? By putting on the whole armor of God. It is only as you are clothed in the armor of God that you will be able to stand. Now, obviously, I do not have time to, to do a full exposition of the armor of God. That could be a whole another sermon series. But the thing I want you to notice this morning is simply this, that you are called to put on the armor of God. Praying that God would strengthen us does not then uh, remove from us the responsibility to strive to stand. The two go together. We, we, we see this with the other petitions, do we not? We, we see it with the, the petition for bread. We're, we're taught to ask God for our daily bread, but how do we get that bread? Yes, God is able to, to drop bread from heaven if He so chooses. We, we see that in the story of the Israelites as they, as they wander in the wilderness. He, he feeds them miraculously, but that's probably not how you get your groceries. God doesn't rain bread down on your, your front lawn. How do you get the bread for which you, you pray. God provides that bread through the labor of your neighbors and through your own labor. You have neighbors who are farmers. You have neighbors who are millers, neighbors who are bakers, neighbors who are, who are merchants. And you yourselves work that you might have money to, to buy the bread that you need. God provides us with bread even as we labor in the strength that He supplies. And what I want you to see this morning is that it is no different with this final petition. We are praying for God to protect us. We are praying for God to, to deliver us. But we stand firm against temptation as we strive to stand firm in the strength that He supplies. We don't let go and let God. We don't pray for protection and then, and then just assume that there's nothing for us to do. We take up and put on the armor of God. Because it's as we clothe ourselves in the armor of God that God himself strengthens us to stand firm against the temptations that are sure to come. So what is that armor? 
Well, again, just, just notice or remember the, the pieces of armor that Paul mentions. There's the, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. There's the, the shoes that provide us with the readiness of the gospel of peace. There's the shield of faith. There's the helmet of salvation. There's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. And what I want you to see about each of these pieces of armor is that each one is an element or expression of the gospel. Paul is telling us to clothe ourselves in the gospel of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ. His gospel is the word of truth. His gospel is the promise of righteousness to those who believe. His, his gospel is the, the gospel of reconciliation and peace. His, his gospel is the, the, the faith once for all delivered to the saints that, that extinguishes the lies of the devil. His gospel is the power of God for the salvation of those who believe. And so what we see is that it is as we believe and, and rest in this gospel, or to, to borrow Paul's phrase uh, from Colossians, is that it's as we let this gospel dwell in us richly, that we are enabled to resist the, the power of temptation, that we are able to put a lie to the promises of pleasure, that we are able to, to see the, the lie of the threat of pain, and we are able to stand firm in the faith doing those good works that he has prepared in advance that we should walk in them. This is why Paul prayed for the church as he did. He, he prayed that their minds would be renewed, that their eyes would be opened, that they would be filled with knowledge and, and wisdom. Why? So that they might be able to stand firm because he knew it was only as they were clothed in the power of the gospel. It's only as the gospel was dwelling in them richly that they would be able to live lives worthy of their Lord. And it's the same for us this morning. If we would stand firm, yes, we must pray to God for the deliverance and the protection that we need. But having prayed, we must then make use of the means that He has provided. We must take up the gospel. We must clothe ourselves in the gospel. We must remember and believe the gospel. We must let it fill us up. These truths that we've been studying for the last several months, we must, we must soak in them. This, this story of salvation, salvation provided through a Savior who is God's own Son, this story must fill us up. Because it's only as we remember our Savior, it's only as we remember all that He has done for us, and all that is ours in Him. It's as that gospel clothes us that we are protected against the lies of this world and of our own flesh and of the devil himself. And it says we are clothed in this gospel that we are enabled to live lives worthy of the calling that we have received. It says this gospel clothes us that we are enabled to do those good works that He has prepared in advance that we should do them. And it's because Jesus teaches us to pray for the very power that we need to live the life that He has called us to live. And because we know that what He teaches us to pray for, He will surely supply because He is the faithful one. Because we know that and that we can make this request with bold confidence that we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Let's believe it together. Father God, we come to you this morning acknowledging that we are weak, acknowledging that we are insufficient, but acknowledging, Father, that our sufficiency is in you. 
and that you have given us the gospel. Give us the grace, Father, to, to believe it, to rest in it, to clothe ourselves in it, that we might walk in it to the praise of your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.